I've got a secret, and it's a pretty good one. You say you want me to tell you my secret? I can't tell you my secret, and it wouldn't be a secret at all. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week we're talking about secrets in video games and how much fun they can be, focusing on secret-filled games like Tunic, Destiny, Mario, Zelda, and something called Ildeen Rhyme? Never heard of it. I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Schreier. Hello. Hello. It's us. Look at look at who it is. It's episode 99. What a tease. Whoa, it's not 99. not quite a hundred. We're one away. That's this true. is as many rupees as we can get. We can't That's get true. anymore, it's I don't true. think. Until we get the, the special wallet. Um, yeah. Which we is, got uh, it. We have a whole week to get the special wallet. I hope we manage to get it in time or else we're gonna be stuck at ninety nine. In time for Max Fun Drive, we need it. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise we're in real That's trouble. a very special wallet. <laughs> can I say I think that 99 is actually a cooler number than 100. I think it's a better number. It's Spoken cool. like a salesperson who uh, who decides <laughs> prices for everything, hardware and video games and stuff. Mm-hmm. Are you are you yeah. the type of person who's like, oh, this Steam Deck actually cost me uh, $639.99 <laughs> instead of $640? That was always a thing. Do you remember? That was always kind of a thing when we'd be talking about how much something cost mm-hmm. and you just want to round it up. Uh-huh. I, I noticed this when I'm reading like video game blogs, and that was my that was always my bugbear. I was like, let's just fucking yeah. round them up. Like, I don't just say do how much it actually costs. It's six hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. It is not six hundred and forty nine dollars. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think any of yeah. us are in favor of including the ninety nine, but it's a form of pedantry we could get into at any time. It does that sound fun. So you're saying so you're saying we should round up this episode and just get it to hundred. <laughs> this is basically a hundred. Well, I guess no, because it's... if that's true, then right, because I do think that ninety nine is a cooler number than one hundred, just because like you know you party like. A it's 1999. You don't party like it's 2000. You know, sure. it was Y2K. That was a bad thing. But Prince <laughs> wanted to party like it was sure. 1999. Sure. So 99 is better. But 2000 was the Willennium, and the Willennium. That's so true, is, and it's going so well so far. Yeah. Well, especially. I mean, I don't know. Does the Willennium still hold the same special place in our hearts? I think so. I feel like the Willennium has been proven to be something we'll never expect. I. It's really That's true. taken some That's turns. That's true. It really I really has. Predict personally. It really has. Well, um, <laughs> if you want to become a member and support Triple Click, it doesn't cost four ninety nine. It costs five dollars. We round it up for you. That's true. We did <laughs> yeah. round it we, up for you. You're we welcome. We keep it nice and clean, and um, and it and it helps us make this show. If you want to be a member, that would be very cool. You can support us and Maximum Fun by becoming a Maximum Fun member for five dollars or ten dollars or more. You know, but it starts at five, and if you pay that little five dollars per month. You get bonus episodes of Triple Click every month, including, I think our next one is going to be in a couple of weeks, and it's going to be about Horizon Forbidden West, a game that we have now all finished and mm-hmm. uh, and are very excited to talk about. But there are all kinds of bonus episodes in our backlog that you can listen to, and you'll also be helping us make this show. So MaximumFun.org slash join is where you go to do that. Not four ninety nine. Not nine ninety nine. We keep it simple for the people. That's right. Just just a regular five dollars. Before we get to our topic, I feel like we should also say we have a live show next week. Somebody should say we it. We do. It's pretty exciting. And I will. If if Kirk won't, I will. I'll I refuse. Say it. So it's I'm all not you. afraid. Yeah, Kirk. Kirk has been boycotting this. He's he decided that he's on strike <laughs> and he doesn't want to say anything. So Maddie, it's a good thing you stepped. Do you think up. we could build a whole false narrative that I'm really opposed <laughs> to doing a live Kirk show? 
doesn't want to do it because he's afraid of how he'll look. Raw, uncut, uncensored. It's true. People think Kirk is like the friendly one. Like, oh, you can hear him smiling even when he talks, but you don't know. Rules with an iron No, fist. I mostly record. I have my hood up. I'm sort of grimacing all the His time. His eyes glowing like a yeah. Sith Lord. Yeah, yeah, it's it's wild out here. You do um, look like Grimace, not like the facial expression, like the character from McDonald's, Grimace. Like a big, like a big purple man. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> Weird energy today. I like it though. Anyway, we have a we have a live show next week. It's at six p.m. ET Eastern Time. That is when we are doing it on Tuesday. I guess I should have said it was on Tuesday. People don't yes. know when we record. Tuesday next week, <laughs> Maddie. Really, all the vital information in one. Tuesday, April twelfth, six p.m. Eastern, three p.m. Pacific. We will be doing a live show on Twitch. Some people would deliver the information in that order. I like to go six p.m. ET. <laughs> Tuesday. Maddie's an artist. You know, she's she's a creative an soul. An artiste. Um, yep. Maybe we should have we should have done like an ARG and hidden uh, the info, made it secret because that's what today's yeah. episode is all about. It's about secrets in video games. So I feel like really the the existence of next week's live show should be a secret. That way we'll have two, <laughs> two stream two uh, viewers on know. Twitch. It'll be hilarious. which is what we want. We only yeah, want right. it to be exclusive. We want as few people as possible. Really right, cool. Right. The new hotness is Twitch live streams with only a couple people who know when and where they are. But you, <laughs> listener, you're going to be there. Well, it's like when a, when a cool band, uh, instead yeah. of like playing Madison Square Garden or whatever, they're like hidden show, like at this mm-hmm. little like whatever. And they don't tell anyone where like it's going to be. In an alley, underground. Uh-huh. It's funny because now I'm thinking about, well, yeah, if we did this secret show, then a lot of people wouldn't see it. But then... That w- that's what would make it cool. And I'm actually like starting to have real <laughs> thoughts about the topic we're going to be talking about because that is sort of a going concern with secrets and videos. Yeah, games. that's precisely correct. <laughs> yeah, it is cool. Well, so yeah, I, I think this is okay. So today we're going to be talking about secrets and video games, which I think are a fascinating topic. We've been um, playing, the three of us have all been playing a lot of Elden Ring, obviously, and also a new game called Tunic, which is an indie game um, that we will talk about more in a couple of weeks. But what both of those games have in common is that they're both very dependent on secrets, um, okay. as are many of video games, to to be honest. But uh, but I think those two in particular are just part of the zeitgeist today. Um, I think secrets are super fascinating, especially when a game developer add secrets to their game that they know that some players will never find sort of like our upcoming Twitch stream which some viewers some listeners <laughs> right. will They'll never, never find Twitch stream. we've actually been doing them for weeks and we just <laughs> never told them so secrets secrets are really interesting and I think I, I just want to draw a couple of definitions here um, because Beautiful. there's some there's some there's a lot of like language mm-hmm. we use to describe secrets there's mysteries or e- easter eggs triple click if we didn't have a text if we didn't have taxonomy we do and we have some categories for secrets too we'll get into that a little bit later but for now I just want to say i think the difference between a secret and a mystery and an easter egg is mm. so a secret is something you can finish a game without finding whereas a mystery is something that is got that is unveiled over the course of the game you can't like you will learn a game's mystery by finishing it otherwise it's a secret an easter egg is a type of secret where there's no reward the reward is just the discovery of it so like hey look there's an easter egg that is uh um, I don't know, to pick Elden Ring, for example, there's there's a dude in Elden Ring who has the Solaire sun from Dark Souls mm-hmm. on his outfit. That's an Easter egg where it's like, oh, OK, cool. That's a fun little thing I just spotted. Um, or like, uh, I don't know, Destiny having a halo helmet in it somewhere or something, something like that. Can I offer maybe this additional uh, piece of information for the Easter egg definition? And that is that to me, at least an Easter egg tends to be a thing from another thing. 
Yeah. Like the right. Master Chief helmet in Halo. It's come to mean that. I don't think right. it always did, but it seems as though it nearly always means that now. Not always. Okay, I would argue that, yeah, either I just mean for socially. Thing, that's how people like, use the it term. It could be a hidden message from the developers, um, like a secret that's is just like, right, hey, hello, sure. you found us. Like, thanks for finding this. Thing. Well, like an adventure, right? The the first video game Easter egg exactly. is the developer exactly. putting his name in the game. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that's the type of thing. Like something, some fun little message. Bing! Kirk here with a little bit of a historical edition that I wanted to make. So I was referring to Warren Robinette, who made Adventure, the 1979 Atari game where he put his name into it, commonly held as the first video game Easter egg. But as it turns out, I was double-checking myself while editing the episode in a 1977 Atari game, Starship One, the engineer Ron Milner put in a little secret where you could enter a code and get 10 lives, and it would say, hi, Ron, when you did it. And that was 1977, so two years before Adventure, which makes it possibly the first Easter egg. Goes to show you really never can say that something was the first when it comes to video games. All right, back to the show. But anyway, a secret, I think, what really categorizes a secret is that you'll find it, you'll think, oh, this is cool, or you'll think, oh, this isn't cool, um, and you'll get some sort of reward out of it in in the game. I think that's kind of part of the definition mm-hmm, of a mm-hmm. secret. So mm-hmm. that said, let's talk about some secrets in video games. I mean, do you guys yeah. have any that like come to mind as like your favorite secrets that you found in a video game or you've learned about in a video game? Oh, sure. Like from my childhood, the fact that you could find invisible blocks in Mario and that sometimes they would give you cool rewards was just a hugely important thing to me and my sister playing Mario games growing up. Like one or the other of us would discover it, would have bragging rights for whatever period of time elapsed before the other one discovered something else cool. And it was just awesome. And you would jump around wildly hoping to discover something (laughs) hidden in a Mario game. It was the coolest possible thing would i do that as an adult i don't know i think the way i'm playing tunic betrays that maybe i do and i would because <laughs> i still get really freaking pumped every time i hadn't find a hidden ladder in tunic it so i think i am tapping back into whatever sensation that is of finding something that was left there for me to discover but has been purposefully made invisible and i just have to, to trip into it i do really still love that feeling yeah, that kind of secret from when I was a kid, you know, I didn't own a lot of game consoles, so I'd go to my friends' houses and they would know about things like invisible platforms mm-hmm. in Mario, you know, hidden areas in Zelda. And whenever they'd show me, I presume they were learning about them from Nintendo Power or something, mm-hmm. but it always felt pretty wild to me because the game doesn't really tell you about those secrets, which mm-hmm. is a kind of a distinction, right? Where there are secrets in Elden Ring that the game kind of does tell you about if you go talk to everybody. Or in Tunic, Tunic has this whole complex built-in way of explaining things to you that we'll probably talk about more in detail in a moment. But in those older games, it's just this feeling of, oh man, so just at any moment in any part of this game, there could just be a secret thing hidden. That always felt a little bit overwhelming to me, actually, as someone who didn't have the console at the time. (laughs) It's called trying to sell you the strategy guide. Uh, Uh Trying to get you to pay to call the Nintendo tip hotline. It's interesting. I actually think that like that sort of thing, um, whether it's Mario's hidden blocks um, or other more esoteric things, like in Super Mario Brothers 3 um, in level, I think it's 1-2 or 1-3, 
three if you duck while standing under on top of a certain white block for five seconds you will fall beneath the scene like behind the scenery and you can run to go get a, a hidden warp whistle that sort of thing is so esoteric and like impossible to know unless you have a guide mm-hmm. unless someone tells you that it almost feels like it would be considered bad game design today um or maybe it would at the very least frustrating well that what you describe I mean, you've sort of delineated in in this list of secrets that we're going to get to that some secrets are like that. Like you need a strategy guide. No one would ever just happen to be ducking, sitting on top of that block for five seconds or however long it is. That's absurd to imagine. But my sister and I did not have access to strategy guides. So when we found secrets, we truly were just accidentally finding (laughs) hidden blocks or platforms because we didn't have that many video games. Right. So we would just play Mario over and over. So Okay, so what I was also going to say is that it, bad design is very much a subjective thing because if you're a young kid like you and your sister were and you somehow stumbled upon this one that like ducking for long enough in this one right. place, if you somehow, somehow stumbled on that, your mind would be friggin' blown like your head would explode if you organically <laughs> stumbled upon something that arcane. And same with like um, I wrote down uh, here on my notes that that emote in Bloodborne, I brought this up a few weeks ago how like yeah. basically you do this random emote at a, just a, a head full of eyes in Bloodborne and you get some item. And while that, like nobody would ever think to do that, if you happen to be the one in a million player to think to do it and you get something as a result of that, again, your head just explodes and you're like, oh my god, I can't believe I found this. And then yeah. what's so cool, of course, which we've discussed many times related to Elden Ring and from games, is that there is the one person who figures out how to do that, but they have a mechanism to leave a note for you that can then tell you to do it and try gesture is the kind of thing that you'll Mm -hmm. see where Uh there's a secret in Elden Ring in the very final area of that game I won't spoil but it is like there's a whole huge secret really cool thing that I'm sure you could look up and you know there's all kinds of websites that'll tell you where to go but I didn't look it up and I was just exploring the final dungeon and followed notes over to an area and then actually you have to do it's kind of an emote kind of a thing you have to do something specific so I'm walking around I've followed this path followed the notes that are like try down you know this mm-hmm. here you know all the the usual ways that they tell you through the notes in the game where to go and I get down to this area and I'm on this platform and there's nothing there and I'm like There's never nothing there. There has to be something here. And I see one of the ghosts in that game, which when you're playing these games, you'll see these white ghosts if you're online that are the outlines of other players just sort of flitting through your game. It's a really cool part of these From games. And I see the ghost go and do the thing that I need to do to access the secret. I have no idea if this was, you know, they're kind of nudging people in that way. They're playing that ghost for people more often or, you know, more commonly or something. But I saw it and I was like, how did he do that? And I go over and there's a little prompt and I like do the thing and then I I go and see the secret. (laughs) So these days you have it built into the games in these really elaborate, really cool ways. That definitely didn't used to be the case. Well, so mm-hmm. this is that's what makes Elden Ring so brilliant and what's what's such a design like that social aspect. I guess that's the equivalent. It's the in-game equivalent of being at the playground with your friends and saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, did you try ducking down this thing?" Except yeah. now instead of just being able to do that and just being able to talk about it on Discord, you also have this in-game mechanic that is like these right. notes and those ghosts, which I think are such a brilliant way of doing it and what can really make I think can let the designers get away with more arcane secrets because they know that a lot of people will have these guides and like you can stick hidden passages in random places knowing that there will be notes telling you telling the player hey there's a hidden passage over here so 
can we talk a little bit about Tunic? Can we sort of lay out for people what that game is and talk a little bit about it? Because it yeah, does it do. does some interesting stuff with this. Okay, I guess I'll describe it. I think I've played the least of the three of us. I've played a few <laughs> hours, though. This is a really cool game. It's a, a new indie game. It's a Zelda-like, I'd say. If you look at it, mm-hmm. you would think it's kind of Zelda-ish, an isometric, you know, third-person action RPG. But the trick of it, the sort of hook, is that it doesn't really... There's almost a meta layer of the game because as you're exploring it, you have no idea what does anything. And a lot of the in-game text, like the UI, is this other language. It's in these kind of runes, these glyphs that you can't understand. But then sometimes things are written in English, so it'll be kind of a mix. So at first, I just found myself kind of intuiting what I'm supposed to do because I've played one of these games before. So I'm like, okay, well, there's a drawing of my guy rolling and then it shows me holding the a button to run i'm like okay well that means that if i hold the a button run but it it doesn't say hold the a button to run it's like written in some gibberish and then as you explore the game you find pages from a manual that you pull up and can look at on your screen and then as you go farther into the game you're getting more and more pages from the manual some of the manual is written in that glyph language but some is in english and also they're like i was saying they're these kind of you know images that you can use to deduce what they're talking about and the manual is like a guide and it has maps to all the areas it's sort of telling you everything so it's this extra layer of secrecy basically where the game is saying you don't know how to do this you don't know how to do anything but we're going to slowly piece it out for you You're playing a game within a game, right? And you're looking through the manual like you're playing an old Nintendo game. And even like you're playing an old, you know, like Japanese import of a Nintendo game where the manual is written in a language that you don't understand and you're having to use context clues to piece it out. So there's all these layers of mystery in the game as you play through it. Mm -hmm. So one of the really cool things about that is that by not telling you what anything does, it leaves you that sense of like mystery and exploration and wanting to just discover things organically to the point where like uh, games that just prompt you and tell you exactly what can be done um, don't leave any mystery for you. And I think that's that's one of the reasons Elden Ring has been such a big success is that it never it never tells you what exactly can or can't be done in this game and just leaves so many things mysterious and leaves so much potential for you and I think Tunic has that same sort of effect. Yeah. yeah, which can be very satisfying when you do figure it out and I certainly had many moments in Tunic where I was like, oh this object is actually very similar visually to this other object so if I do this action that I know worked in the previous instance here maybe it'll do something similar or something useful and then that would end up working but then there would also be times where it would do absolutely nothing or I would just be like <laughs> This is a cool looking object. Maybe that matters or maybe it's just a cool looking object or piece of architecture. I don't really know. And then there would also be times where I would figure something out, but I'd be it would be almost by accident and not in a good way where I would be like, I never would have figured that out. I just happened to see the right thing at the right time. Like it took I okay. for example, maybe this is how the game is meant to be played. I don't know. But like. At one point before I played the game, my boss at Polygon, Chris Plant, was talking to me about the game and he was like, man, I only just figured out how to level up my weapons in this game. <laughs> and it's it doesn't really make any sense. But anyway, what I, and he just said that in passing and that like stuck with me. And then when I was playing the game, I was like, there's going to be a way to level them up. But heck, if I know what it is and what could it possibly be? So I was like working backwards and just ended up figuring it out. And I don't actually know if the game ever does 
tell you how to do that. I won't betray it to the listener. It does. There's a there's a page in the manual that I actually just found that told me how to, yeah. or at least how to upgrade my health and armor and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And your strength, which I mm-hmm. assume, I mean, it does apply to your sword. Uh, but it it's, I, I just kind of figured it out on my own because I was like, I know this is possible to do, but I'll just keep trying different stuff until I figure it out. Which is kind of, that's a classic feeling, right? It's, I don't know. Yeah, it's good and bad. The feeling of like, I'm just going to brute force this. <laughs> it's also like, I heard someone tell me you can do this thing in this video game. So I know it can be done. And mm-hmm. But it, I mean, it's not exactly discovering a secret. Although in Tunic, every single thing is a secret. Like right. learning how to level up is a secret. I think game. it kind of is. It's like a way of discovering a secret that's similar to how we would have to find secrets back in those older games. Where it's just like, I'm going to press every button. Then I'm going to hold them down. Then I'm going to yep. press them all in combinations. I did that for a little while. And I found a very important ability. By yeah. doing that. It's a useful, yeah. it's useful strategy. I should try that. Yeah. <laughs> Just try every single thing. Yeah, try pressing every pressing single every button single at the button. same time and see if it does anything. First, you make a spreadsheet, you put some uh-huh. tick boxes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I want to try calling the Nintendo hotline and see if they have some. I, tips you know, for me. I'm surprised Tunic uh-huh. doesn't uh-huh. have a hotline because it does have that energy and i think that's both what's good and bad about tunic like it does very much feel like a game that is playing to the audience that enjoys that sensation of discovering stuff in a game that is purposefully obscured to you but there are there are some puzzles in that game that i thought were a little too far where it was like oh i figured out how to solve this but it wasn't that fun. But the great news is you don't have to do all of it. You can actually defeat the game without solving every puzzle. And I know because I have done that. So <laughs> there are optional puzzles, basically, is what I'm saying. Like you can 100% the game. And I think you can get a better ending. So I hear I haven't gotten it. But it's like there's I don't I don't know. I don't want to spoil you guys. <laughs> I think do you think the tunic is coming out at a particularly good time for this kind of game? Because you know, Elden Ring obviously is such a mysterious game and it's so successful and everyone's playing it. And it seems like a lot of people are really discovering, even yeah. as we discovered when we were talking about the widely adopted Ecotag system of categorizing open world <laughs> uh-huh. games. More and more people are telling you about Ecotag. Everyone's yeah. talking right. about Ecotag. <laughs> Everybody. Um, but everyone's talking about mysteries. And we realized yeah. it, I think, when we were talking about open world games of like, wow, you know, all the games that we like are the games that have mystery. And I think, Jason, you even said, of all the games I've listed, you're like, the only ones I've finished are the ones that are built around mysteries. And it seems like this is a really good moment as people are just embracing that more. And I'm thinking of a lot of my favorite games from recent years. I mean, Inscription is a good one from last year. I was going to say Inscription. Right. It's like deep in its DNA is that that old feeling. It's that, but it's also, uh, Inscription combines a few different things where it has certain kinds of puzzles where you just have to keep observing different things in the room in order to progress and be, at least in the first act I'm referring to, you have to observe the room yeah. you're in and be like, what? which of these things adds up to anything? These meaningless objects and like you just talk to the right characters and you figure it out, which almost to me, I mean, it's what Jason refers to as a mystery because you have to figure it out in order to progress. Right, it's supposed to be a secret, yeah, which feels yeah, more optional. But I feel like Inscription and Tunic are doing something similar with the idea of discovery, which is sort of purposefully obscuring what's really going on and that discovery is 
a pleasure that people have or they hate it. I feel like it's a very love it or hate it reactions that people have to this kind of thing where either they're like, I hate that this game won't just tell me what's going on. And I want to emphasize that I'm very sympathetic to that mindset. And if you are that person, I feel for you. And I've certainly had that sensation in my life about some things. With Tunic, I had fun, but I can't understand someone downloading it and being like, are you serious? Like, tell, please tell me how <laughs> that, to jump. That's an extreme. But Inscription also doesn't tell you what's going on and you just have to figure it out on your own. But it does. No, 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 no. Tunic, well, Tunic doesn't... Okay, so both games don't tell you what's going on, but Tunic also doesn't tell you how to play, whereas Inscription tells you very explicitly well, that's all, true. everything you need to know about how to play. I think the 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 not knowing exactly how to play or what things do might frustrate people off of Tunic. And I think Tunic's really cool, and we'll talk about it more in a couple of weeks, but but that's that's a total, total extreme on, on the ecotag uh, uh, scale. It's way, way on but the But they're oh. both subversions of expectations though they're both like taking an old game and evoking that idea of secrets as reflected in old games and being like what if we take that and modernize it in some way i think that's an important similarity that the two games have is that they both break the fourth wall in different ways and are evoking the feeling of within the game you are playing a game or interacting with in the case of tunica manual in the case of um inscription all kinds of stuff that goes like you've installed the game on this computer you're someone playing the game within the game you know like that they're kind of invoking the memory of what it felt like to play those more old-fashioned games in a really conscious way by putting it inside the game in a fourth wall breaking way i thinking about fez so fez is like what early 2010s Mm -hmm. and that game it made a big impact I feel like people talked about it but in a way I mean Tunic reminds me of Fez in a lot of ways but Fez was was Fez ahead of its time or was it just sort of a parallel track where mysteries were still kind of happening but at a lower boil it just feels like the early 2010s were nowhere near as focused on secrets and mysteries at least not in mainstream games Fez is definitely ahead of its time it's just the true crime situation. Everybody likes mysteries now. Everybody wants to solve. Hmm. Everybody wants to be a detective now. That's what it hmm. is. So I think this to me, <laughs> all of that. these games and this zeitgeist of mystery games, um, all the way going all the way back to Outer Wilds, it almost feels like it's it's kind of a counterculture, like a reaction, a very very like very much the the opposite reaction to this trend that we've seen in bigger games, which is the developers not wanting any content to be in the game or any like like important content to be in the game that the player won't be able to see. And so, yeah. you know, it's kind of, it's really kind of an anti-capitalist game design. It really <laughs> it sort of is. is. It's like, we're not going to get maximum value out of this game. We're going to yeah. decide instead to like hide things and, and not embrace that mindset. Yeah, and like maybe you don't see well, it. Well, but it's also, I mean, yes, that that's certainly part of it. And then but the other part I'm, of And it, I'm not kidding. I'm being serious. That's really yeah. cool. Well, the other part of it, which I guess is also side to capitalism, is just that the, the games have gotten so much more expensive to make that every single piece of content content now costs millions instead right there are of, all like, these incentives to be yeah. sure the players see every single thing right so you want to make sure the player sees everything but the result is exhausting sometimes like aloy constantly reminding me like oh, oh boy i gotta go back and right. talk to that person I was and i'm like to on my that. way oh, to my talk God. to them like literally walking over <laughs> as aloy and she's like oh i can't forget to talk to them oh i just can't forget and i'm like jesus christ aloy calm maddie down. i just did a quest last night oh my god i just finished the game last night there's a point where literally the last line of a cutscene is like all right aloy go to that tower and then the first thing you see it's like zooms back into playable mode aloy aloy says to herself i 
I should go see that tower. It's literally but then, the first but thing. But then like two minutes later, she'll say it again. Even uh-huh, if you're on yeah. your way, it's like, Never come ends. on. I got it. Like, I know. <laughs> so those quest reminders can just be annoying just because they're sort of repetitive and unnecessary. The things that bug me in that game, and I, I always think of this as the Tomb Raider effect because this became a real problem in the new Tomb Raider games, is when Aloy tells you the solution to a puzzle, yes. which is actually uh-huh. like more directly related to secrets and mysteries. It's like anti-secret it's, in it's every so way. Annoying. It's like there's no such thing as a secret. She's sitting there looking at the thing and she says, I need to pull that thing down so that I can weigh that door open. And like, and I'm like, dude, I'm looking at the puzzle. I'm figuring it out. Like, please stop telling me how to solve the mystery. Especially because these are like optional little, those little Zelda puzzles that are in that game that are cool. And yes. I'm like, you don't, I don't even need to be doing this. This isn't even like uh-huh. main path. You can just relax guys and let me fail if I'm going to fail and walk away and mm-hmm. maybe come back later. Or maybe you never come back. Maybe you miss it. And that's okay too. I mean, that's part of what makes it so exciting in a game that doesn't tell you everything. I mean, we, you know, we talk about Elden Ring all the time. But part of what's so exciting about that sort of game is that tripping over something and feeling like you were the only person to discover it, even if it was actually designed so that you would trip over it, quote unquote, and almost everyone is going to find this cool little cave and uh-huh. this, this piece of lore on an item. It feels like you're the only one who found it because your character wasn't like, oh, I should go check out that cave. And you meet like six NPCs who are like, have you heard about that cave? Shit gets real crazy when you go in that cave. <laughs> just, you know, and oof. and when so I'm playing through Elden Ring now on New Game Plus, and there really is a lot of stuff that I missed the first time. As much as that game does nudge you in all these different directions and it points you in, you know, certain ways and tells you how to check things out, there are so many things that I missed. And I'm finding that in particular I'm really enjoying the mystery that is Elden Ring's story. This was my one more thing last week, so I already talked about this a little bit. But piecing together what's going on in the world, who's who, what happened here, just... It's cool for a couple of reasons. It's cool because it's all very non-linear and spread out and you can totally miss things. I'm talking to Sorcerer Rogier, Rogier mm-hmm. who I mm-hmm. totally basically missed the first time through. And he explains all this stuff. Yeah, and he has a whole quest line that you can do for When him. he explains the Night of the Black Knives, which like tells you more about Rani and on and on and on. So it's cool because it's so spread out. But it's also cool because the narrative is itself, itself is still a mystery. Like even with every single piece of information that could possibly be made available to me, there are huge holes and like things that you just have to fill in for yourself because it just doesn't lay it all out. So not only are they content to have the story be missable in the parts that they are giving to you, they're also happy to not even give you the whole story and make it so that you have to fill in the blanks. And I'm really finding, it's funny, everyone talks about lore videos like Vati Video, who's fantastic. He does great work. But honestly, it's been so fun not watching those videos and trying to piece it together for myself. I found it so rewarding because I'm doing the work on my own and I'm trying to solve the mystery on my own. And yeah, I'll never solve it, but I don't think you can solve it. And so it's kind of liberating in that way. Well, yeah. you're a lore master, Kirk. You're an Elden, an Elden lore lord. Um, I was kind of a lore, lore master lord. for Destiny, for Destiny too. Lore lord. Destiny. So I was, uh, so I was at GDC in San Francisco a couple weeks ago, the Game Developers Conference, and I went to a panel on Baldur's Gate three, um, where Sven Vinke, uh, who is friend of the show, he's been on, yeah, our, good old Sven, he was on split screen a couple times back in the day. Um, he uh, he was talking about early access, and the panel was not about this, but he mentioned one thing that really stood 
stood out to me, which is he showed this heat map of a part of Baldur's Gate 3. Um, the game is in early access right now. Obviously, it's not coming in, out for real for a while still. Right, right. Until next year at the earliest. Um, he was showing this heat map, and the heat map is like how many players have been to each location, right? And he was talking about how like he they use that as interesting data, not just to see like, okay, is the play, are the players finding the main path, but also is the secret area secret enough or is it too secret mm. or like how do mm-hmm. we find the balance here and that's really stood out to me because like um they larian with divinity original sin 2 and other previous games and now Baldur's Gate 3 they are one of the few developers that is really not afraid to uh just not let players like to to make stuff that players will never see that most players will never find um because they believe in the value of secrets and i think that's super cool and i think it's really ballsy um today to make big budget games where like there's giant swaths of content that might have cost you millions of dollars to make and man hours and voice acting and motion capture but uh, many of your players will never actually see it and I, I just think that's so cool when the, when curious players are rewarded with stuff like that mm-hmm. it's a it's kind of a value proposition right because you can assign a value to something that costs money to make that not everyone will see like it's a very simplistic way to think about making something that the only way that it can have any worth is if it is seen by the maximum number of people. Because there's actually value in something being having been a secret and to not everyone getting to see it. Like, withholding from the people actually gives it value as well. So if you spent money making it, you're still giving it value by making it secret. Sure, I, I wish sure. more people could think that way because it's like an actually logical way of thinking about value. An important way to put that is not I don't I wouldn't even say like withholding it from some players. I would say withholding it from the 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 rushing player or the player who doesn't take the time to explore. Well, yeah, some players, curious. some yeah. players, those yeah. players, yeah. Well, I just think that's an important distinction. So it's not like this game is saying we are intentionally like taking things away from you or withholding things from you. It's more that it's like a bonus if you choose to play the game in a curious way, as opposed mm-hmm. to if you're just kind of playing normally. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I kind of the flip side of this is that if you're a parent like myself or you're another if you're a player who doesn't have a lot of time to poke around and to really spend a lot of time gaming and you're like man I have one hour of gaming time a night like I'm not gonna waste it poking around and leave my hour session feel like I'm I'm wasting my like feeling like I've wasted my time then this sort of thing can be uh, annoying for you but then again I don't know I found that in my limited gaming time the nights that I've spent accomplishing nothing in Elden Ring were just as were even more rewarding than like playing some other shit that just guides me the whole time. It's also a nice thing about the way that uh, game communities and the internet work now because like yeah. Destiny is a great example. So Destiny was a game with so many secrets in it that became super wild and we talked to Datto, the Destiny YouTuber who's like the master of finding every single secret. Um, we yeah. had him on split screen at least once, right, to talk to him about this stuff, but he just dedicates well, the days secret hunters and days. of Destiny. People right, we did a whole thing episode. about that. And then of Our course like later episode. secrets even after the Vault of Glass. There was some banana stuff that like outbreak Prime quests was just this totally crazy crowdsourced thing. I could never do any of that. Like, I have plenty of time to play video games, but I still can't do it. But it was really fun to watch him do it and to watch his videos about it. Like, you can go and kind of experience the secrets, the really high-level stuff, even if you don't have the time for it. Just like you can go watch, you know, Vatividia or some other um, lore explanation for for a game. You know, Mossbag's amazing Hollow Knight lore explanation if you didn't have time to piece that all together for yourself. Um, Let's go through a couple of secret taxonomy, because I feel like we can't do an episode 
episode of Triple Click without. No, we need some more. We need some more categories. Yeah, we got to break it down. So I want to do. I just want to fire off some types of secrets. Some types of secrets. The subversive secret. So like, you find a bunch of gravestones, and the first two are empty, and then the third one has something. Oh, it's a subversive mm-hmm. secret. Mm-hmm. Um, You're not or, calling this rule of threes, okay? Well, it, it's not necessarily rule of three. Sometimes it'll just no. be maybe the fine. first four gravestones are empty. Well, uh, or sometimes it's like different areas of the world, and like one area has nothing, one area, whatever. The arcane secret, we talked about that esoteric stuff. The obvious secret, you see that waterfall, better be a chest behind it. And in fact, mm-hmm. I go so far as to say that the obvious secret, sometimes if there isn't a secret there, players will get mad. Like mm-hmm. sometimes the obvious secret needs to be there. Though it can um, be a joke. I feel like in From Games, sometimes you'll follow the path around the side of the cliff, and then you just get to the wall and there's nothing there and there'll just be a note that says like didn't expect done or whatever yeah. just done <laughs> with a guy falling down and that can be didn't funny. expect disappointment yeah yeah um the curious secret um like in elden ring if you get on top of one of those flame pillars that go in and out of the ground and you can find a secret secret mm-hmm. entrance there um the curious secret is basically what would happen if i did this and sometimes it'll just lead to instant death and then other times it'll lead to something cool mm-hmm. the mechanical secret weather effects spell damage did you know that like other yes. other mechanical secrets i think are always really interesting but breath of the wild is full of those um the real world secret kirk you this these is are some I that i added yeah yeah this is coordinates in the real world yeah so the real world secret. right is is when it comes into the real world i think destiny did that at least yeah once, destiny right? did that geocache thing yeah, yeah. This, this one is is rare the teasing secret this hints at something that'll be in the sequel um yeah good stuff um, the imaginary secret. This isn't actually intended to be a secret, but people are convinced it's real. Like that seventh chest one. in the vault of glass. That's why or I like added that. Is Mew because under the truck or whatever is that? Well, of, and like yeah, or uh-huh. like bringing back Aerith in FF Seven. The rumor, the playground rumor, playground yeah, secret. Yes, urban legends, basically. But I, I, I had to just mention the vault of glass and destiny because I know I mentioned it before. But we did do Jason and I made a whole scripted episode of a podcast about the secret hunters of that. Raid yeah, we'll link and, it in the show notes. It's pretty good. Yeah, it was fun. Mm-hmm. It was a fun sort of a fun experiment in making that kind of podcast. But what was interesting was a lot of the things that those people were chasing after were illusory. Like they were things that Bungie was kind of egging them on and there were maybe some things you could find, but they weren't actually going to lead to some amazing, you know, double Yallerhorn or something. Like they were just uh-huh. weird little remnants of when of different versions of the Vault of Glass. But people still had a lot of fun and, and put a lot of work and like built a whole community around finding them because it was real to them. So I guess maybe that raises the question of were they illusory in the first place? Mm-hmm. And what's the value in discovering a secret? I mean, yeah. I had that experience sometimes with Tunic and just with games in general where I'll I'll do some complex thing and then the reward is not very interesting. But of course, that doesn't matter. The point is not to get some cool item sometimes. Mm-hmm. The point is to have solved a puzzle to get, you know, a golden coin or whatever it is, whatever completely useless trash is at the end. End of solving a really sick puzzle. Like in Breath yeah. of the Wild, it's usually a Korok seed, but I'm so usually so tickled with whatever it is that I just did or whatever mystery I solved that I'm like, cool, a Korok seed, fine. Well, yeah. I don't know. I actually disagree with this. No, I know I you f- usually feel differently. Think that the, you reward want the reward should be. I actually found that a little frustrating about Breath of the Wild. Yeah, yeah, and I actually think that's where Elden Ring is really triumphant, and that the rewards aren't always necessarily good, but they're always interesting and they're always new and unique <laughs> I mean, in some way. I mean, a lot of times it's just a mushroom for some reason. <laughs> 
It's it's <laughs> weird number of times you just get a mushroom for your troubles. <laughs> a lot of times for me, it's just random ass spells that I can never use because I didn't have yeah, magic built. But yeah. uh, but no, there's always uh, chances. Okay, chances are higher than not you're gonna find something useless. Yes. But that one time where you find like a secret medallion or that gets you on a lift or like some other super cool. Yeah, like stuff. when I found the claymore in Castle Morn and I just well, danced around my room for ten minutes. Sure. <laughs> Um, I do the Claymore dance. That's what we call it. We Claymore users. But the fact, I mean, the fact that Elden Ring just has so many more systems and possibilities yeah. for rewards just opens it up to a lot of cool stuff. Well, and doesn't have weapons that fall apart. So even if you do find a cool weapon in Breath of the Wild, it's going to break. Right. I personally do break. not mind this, but I know that plenty of people, including possibly Jason Schreier, do. No, I, n- I never minded that. The problem was that once you got the Master Sword, it didn't matter that's like, true. what it's else kinda, you found. That was the kind of problem. The greatest weapon. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's secrets in video games. Secrets are super cool. I love them. Why don't we take a little break and then we'll be back for one more thing? Hey, were you a reader as a kid? Like maybe you read a lot of fantasy novels or horse girl books. We know how it is. But now you're an adult and you miss reading. You're so busy and you can't figure out how to get back into books. We're Reading Glasses, and we're here to help. Yeah, we'll give you advice to figure out what books you love or learn to stop reading books you don't even like. We're really big proponents of dumping that book. Dump that book. But most importantly, we'll help you fall back in love with reading. Reading Glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Congratulations, you've won a ticket to attend an exclusive opportunity in a relaxing environment with two lovers. Wow. Well, this sounds like a sort of proposition of sorts, but really it's an ad for our podcast. Wonderful. It's a show we do here on Maximum Fun where we talk about things that we like and things that we're into. I'm Rachel McElroy, and you just heard Griffin McElroy, and we are excited for you to join us as we talk about movies and music and books. Things like sneezing or the idea of rain. (laughs) Can you get news or information you can use? Absolutely so. you cannot, because we're here to talk to you about Pumpernickel Bread. You can find new episodes on Wednesdays. So catch, catch the wave! And we are back. Kirk, Maddie, it is time for one more thing. Maddie, take us away, because you've been talking about your one more thing already for the past 40 <laughs> minutes. true. I know. Um, so I picked Tunic. Uh, we probably will talk about this game a little more in a couple weeks, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the easy mode in Tunic because I think it's interesting. I love so, it, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it rules and it people does. should just turn it on. Uh, so I kind of think that and I kind of don't. Mm-hmm. Um, Tunic has very limited easy mode options, but I guess I should say the reason why I'm even talking about this at all is because the combat in Tunic it's not very good, in my opinion. <laughs> it feels floaty to me, It, especially compared to other really precise isometric games like Hades is sort of the go-to example for practically everyone. You really Death's know door, what you're though, hitting and also. when. Death Store is another more recent example where it feels really good to play. I haven't played Death Store. I've just heard these comparisons bandied about. I played a lot of it, and it's quite a bit tighter than Tunic. Oh, yeah. And I I mean, I also feel like the comparisons are a little unfair. Tunic has a significantly yes. smaller team. It was made by just one guy for a long time. It's really hard to fine-tune combat. Hades had an early access release that didn't feel the same, and they improved it over time. I mean... We're, it's sort of apples and origins in some ways, and I am sympathetic to Tunic for not having, you know, 
pixel perfect 60 frames a second totally sick dark souls combat in isometric form however because it doesn't have that and because the game does require you to defeat a lot of bosses i would recommend turning on the easy mode which is called no fail and it really just makes it so that even when you run out of health Everything just keeps going. You just have zero health and the game just allows you to continue on. There have only been a few times I've used this. I didn't use the stamina one at all. There's another setting that just allows you to have infinite stamina, but I didn't mind the stamina regen. That didn't really bother me. Um, the times when I used no fail would mainly be when I had conquered an area or felt like I'd gotten whatever I could emotionally get out of having combat conquered an area and I just wanted to explore it and I saw some cool areas and I, I just wanted to check them out for a little bit longer without having to slash every frog in the throat a billion times and collect my souls. I would just turn on no fail and it 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 doesn't doesn't change the game like it it makes it feel like you're role playing playing a video game because mm. you can never die and you still have to kill all the guys because once they're <laughs> aggro they're really aggro which is another thing about this game that is a little tough compared to dark souls but uh you still have to kill them in order to go about your day but you don't really have to worry about it because you know they can't kill you so you're just kind of chilling and you can just do whatever you want uh so yeah i recommend doing that um i've seen people say they played the entire game this way and enjoyed the heck out of it i think that's great and totally valid and the game is actually quite enjoyable this way more so than you might think yeah i think i mean the stamina mode is kind of cool because you can just infinitely block with your shield right. which is a big a pretty big boost but it's not as big of a boost as just being invincible i'm finding that i really like it and i'm more forgiving of the fact that this game's combat isn't that great? Because it's kind of it's what we've been talking about on this whole episode. It's not really the game's aim to just mm -hmm. be a really great combat exploration game. It's also doing this whole big puzzle mystery thing. And that layer is so interesting. And I would say that layer is the thing that makes the game stand apart. So there are totally times where I'm just exploring and I'm like, man... It's partly that I just played 100 whatever hours of Elden Ring. It's partly that I played so much Death's Door last year, which really does feel similar, but just plays a lot better. And I'm like, I don't need this, man. Like, I don't need this, like, being chased around by super tough enemies and having to figure out all the parry timing. Like, I just don't care. I want to open the door and get to the next area. And it's really nice that it lets you just turn that on. And, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it the game doesn't really suffer for it. I like that it doesn't affect anything. You can turn it on, turn it off. Oh, I would yeah. definitely recommend people play around with it. Uh, it's mm -hmm. It's a nice feature. I recommend it too. So, Maddie, you didn't find that it made things feel less satisfying for you at all? I mean, no. I would say the only issue I had would be that sometimes I would turn it off and forget that I'd turned it off or turn <laughs> it on and forget that I turned it on and be like, wow, I'm killing it. And then be like, wait, I still have no fail mode on. Or I think I was on no fail mode and then I would die and I'd be like, damn it, now I got to go get my souls. <laughs> but other than that, I, I just kind of turned it on and off so willy nilly that I was never like, oh boy, am I achieving something or not? Like, I just stopped thinking about it. At this point in my life, I'm like, whatever. I, I've got past plenty of hard things in Dark Souls and I, I believe in myself, you know, I don't, I don't need, I don't need Tunic to tell me whether or not I've achieved something. Yeah, it life. seems, it seems less about the self-confidence thing or validation thing and more about the tension of the game, like that the tension would be gone. It's weird because you don't really notice it in the moment because huh. it, I don't know, try it. I mean, Good to know. 
Yeah, I'll play around with it. I don't know why, but it's, there's just something about it where you're just like, huh, I just feel like I'm a little stronger than I was before. And then in the moment you're like, oh, right, it's because I don't have the ability to die. But if you still have to actually play the game. Like, you can't just walk by guys because they'll still harangue you, you know? Yeah, it's for me, it's just that, like, when a game is kind of gooey in the way that this game is, like, it just has this kind of weird, wonky feeling in combat, I don't get that much... I don't, it never feels that rewarding to master it because it's yeah. very difficult to master it because it's just kind of so floppy. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not really getting that feeling of like satisfaction of like a Sekiro fight where I've really mastered yeah. it and it's just bing, bang, 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 bang. Like that's satisfying. This is just always a little bit whatever. So I, I care a lot less when I turn it on yeah. or turn it off because that's not why I'm playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that too. It's not like I have a great run in Tunic and I'm like, wow, I really nailed that one. It's more just I'm like, I, I guess I happen to step aside and right, I'm, press I'm a healing alive. button at the <laughs> yeah. right time. I mean, there's so many little things about it that I, uh, they're just slightly, slightly different from Dark Souls in ways that bother me because it's so similar to Dark Souls in other ways. Like the fact that when you step away to chug an Estus flask in Dark Souls, you usually the enemies will almost like respect your honor in those moments. Like their, their animations uh, uh, are slow enough that they'll sort of like allow you to do that or they'll purposefully aim at you. But even then you can see that that's happening. Whereas in Tunic, they have no respect, no respect whatsoever. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how far away you go. It's a little random. They're kind of just swinging. They, they either will or won't attack you. And it just, I don't know, there's something about the timing of it that just always makes it feel just slightly unfair at various mm-hmm. points and unfun. Um, and whenever Got it's it. feeling unfun, you turn on the nil fail mode. That's yeah, my there's, there's an answer to that. Kirk, mm-hmm. what's your one more thing? My one more thing is a show that uh, we finished a couple of weeks ago that I want to tell more people about because I feel like people are hearing about it, but I'm also not getting the sense. I feel like more people should watch it because it's really good. And it's Our Flag Means Death. This is a uh, half hour comedy. It's on HBO Max. It's The showrunner is David Jenkins, though it's also executive produced by Taika Waititi, who is just living his best life, this guy. He's got, what, Reservation Dogs, a new Thor movie. Uh, he's producing What We Do in the Shadows. He's making so many cool things. I just want to say, this is a terrible name. I've forgotten it like 10 times after you told me to watch it. Yeah, so I guess, and What We Do in the Shadows is also sort of <laughs> sort of mm-hmm. a bad name. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's And it's very similar. At least it starts very similar. So what this show is, is it is a pirate comedy, uh, is kind of broadly how I describe it. Historical pirate comedy. Historical yes. pirate. Yes, um, it is based day. on some characters. Yes, no, not modern day. It's uh, uh, 1700s, 18th century um, pirates, like the characters that you may have met in Assassin's Creed for Black Flag. The two main characters are Reese Darby, who people probably know from uh, Flight of the Concords, though he also mm-hmm. featured in Half-Life Alex, which <laughs> a very small percentage of our audience will know. He's really good at yeah. that game. <laughs> and he's in What We Do mm-hmm. in the Shadows for like a second. That's true. Movie. I mean, a lot of, yes, a lot like Kristen Schaal and uh, what's yeah. his name from Nick Kroll turns up. Yeah, All the people who are on What We Do in the Shadows. Regular comedian cast. Yeah, their kind of regular crew turn up on this show as well. So Reese Darby is playing Steed Bonnet, who is a real person, I believe is a character character in AC4, and Taika Waititi is playing Edward Teach, um, otherwise known as Blackbeard, the, the, the infamous pirate. And the show starts out, and it feels very similar to what we do in The Shadows. It's not a mockumentary, so there's no like cutaways to people talking to the camera, but it has that same goofy energy where it's like people who are bad and scary, but actually are really sweet and funny. Like It's that same sort of energy. They're very goofy. His whole pirate crew, they're all terrible bumbling pirates and he's the worst pirate of all but then what's really cool about this show is once blackbeard turns up 
it changes. The show shifts at about episode four, and it becomes a much more heartfelt, much more interesting, and much more good show, I think. Like, it was funny at first. I was plenty enjoying it plenty. But man, first off, Taiko Waititi is a great actor. I didn't yeah. really know how good he is. And like, they just, it's a wonderful story of this like friendship, this relationship between these two men. And then really all of the supporting cast, they really are just all fleshed out in all these surprising and really cool ways. And it winds up being this like emotionally involved, wonderful story. I really can't recommend it enough. We finished it and I was like, that was so good. I just, that wasn't at all what I was expecting when I went in. It was just so much better. Yeah, I loved it. We watched it very quickly, and I'm yeah, extremely sad that there isn't more. Yeah, <laughs> it ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger. I it will does. say, <laughs> uh, just as a just as a warning, because we finished it, and I was sad that that was where it yeah. ended, and I wanted more very badly. So I hope they get renewed for season two. I went through a phase of thinking pirates were very cool when I was a teenager, and I feel like I've really <laughs> tapped back into that that self from the past watching this show and now i think being a pirate is is really cool super dangerous and and really mm-hmm. really cool between so. this and the new monkey island announcement it's pirates Ooh. are, are really back pirates, in. Are, pirates cool are back again. in back, back in the zeitgeist um so my one more thing is a show called the dropout kirk i don't remember if this is your one more thing or if you just told us about this before no i just recommended it i have okay, all these shows i've been watching that i haven't made my one more thing because my one more thing keeps being elden ring <laughs> got it so i will make it my one more thing which nice. is so this is a show um telling the story of elizabeth holmes and theranos aka the uh the big fraud company that claimed it was going to be able to uh uh, uh get, tell people's like all sorts of health conditions just from a single drop of blood and then it turned out all to be just a giant house of cards that collapsed um and so the dropout is this mini series telling the story um all sorts of angles to it so it's got it's got elizabeth holmes and it's got um and she's played by amanda seyfried seyfried and uh you got uh sunny balwani who's played by naveen andrews aka saeed from lost he's and so good on their this, yeah. their kind of relationship is the core of the show but it's also got uh really uh, just a who's who of cast pretty, members yeah playing. pretty stacked cast Playing all sorts of other characters from like Stephen Fry to like William H. Macy um, to uh, Mm -hmm. the guy who played um, who played the dad on that 70s show. Kurtwood Smith um, plays David Boyes, the lawyer, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it's really, really good, mostly because Amanda Seyfried is really good as Elizabeth Holmes. And she just really like captures this role. Um, Amanda Seyfried, who I first knew, not from Mean Girls, kind of from Mean Girls, but really from Veronica Mars. Yeah. Yeah, oh, sure. Lily Kane, which she's the, also amazing. The on. beating heart of Veronica Mars, really. Not only yeah. the beating heart of Veronica Mars, also dead from the very before the show ghost. starts. She is, yeah. a, she ghost is a ghost in the entire series, but an but, amazing uh, ghost doing yes, a great quite a job. Ghost. I didn't. I had no like her acting chops. Oh my goodness! I didn't know until watching this that she could really like this. This is like an Emmy Emmy deserving performance as Elizabeth Holmes. She really mm-hmm. she she masters the voice, the mannerisms, the character. She is like incredible in this role. Worth watching just for that. It's a really good show. It's really handled very well. Although I will say that I did find out that um, this show is different than so uh, the story was broken by a journalist named John Carreiro who wrote a book called bad blood that i really enjoyed great book um and uh 
this is, even though John Carrero is portrayed in this show, this was made without his involvement and without the work of the book, even though they take a lot of their sourcing from the book. So uh, there's another thing coming. I think it's like with Jennifer Lawrence based on the book, which will be more of like the proper journalistic show, I suppose, or, or movie or whatever it winds up being, as opposed to this, which is more of an unauthorized. It's based on a podcast called The Dropout, but a lot of the reporting is is based on John Carreras. So worth worth noting that this isn't quite the official version of Bad Blood, if you care about that sort of thing, but still very good. I will say that I listened to that podcast and really Me liked too. it a lot. I thought it was better than the HBO documentary, and I can't remember if he was, I think he wasn't involved with the podcast, but... You know, it was his reporting, and they they do give him credit for the reporting. Like, it is very clear that he was the one who broke the story. Yeah, well, he's part of the story also, and there's some interesting journalism uh, stuff. Pretty pretty accurate, I would say. The conversations with editors and between him and his editor, I was like, this feels like, you know, I mean, it's a little dramatized, but it feels like a a believable conversation about sourcing. Amanda kept turning to me and being like, is this realistic? Is this realistic? I was like, yeah, this, this, and this. Um, At one point, they're talking about sources who are speaking on background in front of the entire newsroom and I was like this is, they would not be loudly <laughs> right. talking about no. names like this but minor um, stuff like that I mean compared to inventing Anna for example sure. yes yeah. no definitely no it's very very much a much more honorable portrayal of journalism but there there's one point where uh, they're in this meeting with the lawyers and the lawyers like are, are inadvertently give out some info and I pause it and I was like to Amanda like that is the best meeting that any journalist could have possibly I was saying the same like, thing to Emily that's that, so funny I was like those reporters are so happy right now <laughs> those lawyers just gave them the story and then i unpause it and the editor and the reporter mm-hmm. turned to each other and they're like now we can go now we can go so yeah, yeah it was that was a fun that was a fun moment because that's uh, a great scene just because the whole time the lawyers are yelling at the reporters and i'm sitting there thinking this is such a mistake for these guys like uh-huh. they're blowing it and i think they know it oh that's such a good scene yeah extremely good and that's that's real that's like based on what actually no, I know. Yeah, happened yeah. um if you read the book but anyway i really recommend bad blood and i also recommend the show which is really really good and it's not quite over yet i think the last episode airs this week so uh looking forward to finishing that the dropout Mm -hmm. really good show um all right that is it for this week's episode thank you to all of you out there for listening don't forget we will have our live stream next week next tuesday if you miss the live stream the episode will just be in your audio feed as usual but uh but if you can check us out catch us on twitch tuesday 6 p.m eastern uh, link to the Twitch will be in the show notes and also we'll tweet it and stuff post in Discord so yeah look forward to that it'll be a fun one it's gonna be fun I'll see both of you then see you next week bye Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier Maddie Myers and me Kirk Hamilton I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music our show art is by Tom DJ Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. 
Audience supported.